What's up, hardcore humans? Welcome to another episode of season three of the Hardcore Humanism podcast. Today, we are talking with singer, guitarist, and songwriter Max Cavalera. Max is a founding member, along with his brother Igor, of the legendary thrash band Sepultura. Thrash metal is a genre of music that is a fusion of heavy metal and hardcore punk rock. Sepultura is generally considered one of the greatest heavy metal bands of all time, and particularly one of the best bands in the thrash metal genre. Max eventually left Sepultura and went on to form other fantastic metal bands, including Soulfly, as well as Cavalera Conspiracy, with his brother Igor. Igor and Max are now playing shows together on the Return Beneath Arise tour, playing select tracks from two of Sepultura's classic albums, Beneath the Remains and Arise. So check out a show near you at returnbeneatharise.com. Now, in the Hardcore Humanism Therapy and Coaching Program, our goal is to utilize principles of humanistic psychology to empower you to find your purpose, work hard to achieve that purpose, and build a supportive community so that you can lead a fulfilling and authentic life. And on the Hardcore Humanism Podcast, we talk with artists such as Max who have overcome obstacles as they pursue their authentic life so that we can learn from their experience as we embark on our purpose-driven journey. And one of the keys to finding our purpose in life is to start with a simple but often difficult question, who and what do we love? The idea is that if we can understand who and what we love, it can not only serve as a guide to our purpose in life, but also as a reinforcement system whereby doing more in the service of who and what we love can feel good and help us make progress in our life towards meaningful goals. So many times in our life, we fear taking steps towards things that we love because we are afraid. We are afraid that we will fail. We are afraid that we will be rejected. We are afraid that we will somehow be embarrassed, humiliated, or otherwise hurt emotionally or even physically. And we don't take steps to move towards the people or things we love because of that fear. So maybe we have someone we are interested in romantically, but we don't ask them out, or we don't reach out to friends to make plans because we are afraid of rejection. Or perhaps we don't ever pick up an instrument and play music because we are afraid that we won't be any good. Or we don't want to take on our addictions because we are too afraid that we will fail or that life will be too painful if we don't have that escape. And Max's story is one of taking on those challenges. Many of them were long shots, but he kept moving towards what he loved even though his chances of success were not very good. His father had died and his family had very little money, but he and his brother embraced the DIY spirit that is often the hallmark of underground music cultures like hardcore punk heavy metal, and hip-hop. They grew up in a world in which thrash metal didn't really exist, and they helped create a genre. And even though Max struggled with substance abuse and talked about struggling to get sober, his love of music helped him connect to himself and the community around him as he pursued a straight-edge lifestyle. And he did all of this without any guarantee of success. And so what we hope people will take away from Max's story is that even when we are at our lowest points— where we are not sure who we are, what we are about, or what our life is going to look like, we can start by just asking ourselves what and who do we love and taking a small step towards that person, place, or thing, getting involved in some small way. And if we are not sure what that is and we don't feel that love, we can at least start by trying to observe how we feel and move towards things that we like or at least are curious about. And those small steps, buying a record, Going to a show, reaching out to a friend, trying to cut down on harmful behaviors like substance abuse can be the beginning of a more authentic and purpose-driven life. 
So let's listen to what Max has to say. Hey, Max, welcome to Hardcore Humanism. How you guys doing? Good to be here. Meg, it's great to have you. So we're going to talk a little bit about the concept of straight edge and how that manifested in your life. And I think that maybe where we could start is how you understood metal before metal and hardcore came together. Like what, what metal meant to you kind of growing up before thrash and, and, you know, metal and hardcore kind of started to fuse and that'll help us kind of understand the arc of this whole thing. Well, I kind of like to think that me and my brother were not the first ones, but definitely um, some of the pioneers that in Brazil that were trying to bridge the, the, the two genres together because we fell in love with both of them very early, man. It must be 1982. Even before we had Sepultura, we were listening to uh, Hellhammer and Discharge in the same cassette tape. Um, and it was kind of like, kind of funny, like we knew that they were from different worlds, but it didn't matter. We loved them the, the same. We were like, I, I, I was like, dude, I love Hellhammer and I love Discharge. I don't understand why they need to be divided. Like, why can only people listen to Discharge? And why can only metal people listen to Hellhammer? I, I never liked that concept. I thought, I like both, man. They're both badass in their own way, man, you know? Um, and then, so, you know, like, like, hardcore was always very present in Sepultura's life. From the beginning, we play covers of different different stuff, different uh, artists. We were always listening to. We took bands on tour that were part of that. Uh, of the scene, you know, mostly most popular one was probably New Titans on the Block when we took Sick of It All uh, with us with uh, uh, Napalm Death and Sepultura. And uh, and I remember one time me and Igor were hanging out in New York. We always had really good friends in New York from that scene. And there was one guy, I fucking forgot his name now, but he took me and Igor on a, mat- a Sunday matinee to go see... Um, I think it was like Cro-Mags, Gorilla Biscuits. And, and we're the only people with long hair. And I was like, I was telling him, we're going to get killed here, man. What are you doing to us? You know, It's like, no, you're with me, man. And nobody fucked with us, man. It was great. You know, you know, there was like nothing, not even, not even like a, and it was jam packed with skinheads and fucking all kinds of people going nuts. We're, nobody touched us. It was like, like kind of like uh, you with this guy, nothing's gonna happen to you, you know. So we got to we got to witness that. Um, and, but I noticed also that the hardcore guys they love metal too. All the sick of all the sick of it all guys they love metal. They love Sepultura. Um, so there was, uh, yeah, and we and we did things in Brazil that were kind of like pioneering. I think we had the first real real metal hardcore show infused. Must have been 1987. It was Sepultura and Hatos de Porão, and a lot of people were scared to come to the show because it was advertised the skinheads gonna they were gonna come and they're gonna beat people, they're gonna kill people. So I think only like hundred people show up. Those hundred brave souls, you know, like real. Those are the brave. Those those are 
those are warriors that came to the show. You know, everybody else was kind of scared, but the show went on. It was cool. And it was like the first kind of like mutation of both styles together. And we love both. So I always, always had huge, uh, much, much love for hardcore and, and metal at the same. I like to still today. I like both very much. Yeah. One of the things that's, that's going to be very odd for some people is because of bands like you, because of bands like Cro-Mags and Agnostic Front, et cetera, that at Napalm Death, it, I, I could go on and on. But now the concept that, that metal and hardcore would be these separate worlds it is almost bizarre, you know, and it, I'm kind of curious one, like I actually, the main thing is, is that what, what was that like and how did you actually decide to then still go? Because now it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense in terms of your career. It makes a lot of sense in terms of, of what your bands have done in terms of pioneering this, this crossover. But back then, you didn't know that that was going to happen. Like, how did you decide, look, people are seeing these two separate worlds, but but we're going to walk in both. And we're actually going to fuse both. Yeah, I mean, it's just, just I think kind of like, just when we did, we just loved it so much that we wanted more people to feel the way we were feeling towards the, the two styles. Um. And I think, yeah, I mean, it was mostly in Sepultura, it was mostly me and Negro. The other two guys, they didn't really care much for, for hardcore. Um, but me and Igor were very, Igor was very into the, the whole idea, actually. He was, uh, from early age, he was, he was actually a full-on stray adjunct X. You know, the, the, the X in the, in the hand and the whole nine yard, you know. Um, but yeah, I think it's just kind of like, I, I I always saw those two kinds of musics are badass and they kind of belong to each other anyway. I think like it's not it's it's a, it's a no brainer the Motorhead right when people saw Motorhead, punks and metal guys were like, "Yeah, this is for us," um, for for the, for the both of them, you know. So all the punks love Motorhead, and all the metalheads love Motorhead. It's so killer to see that it's a, a band that did that. You know, um, I mean, I think if you if you if you talk to mostly most old school punk guys, they all love metal, man. I seen so many Rollins interviews. They talk about Black Sabbath, how much he loved Black Sabbath, um, and uh, you know, like Jello uh, Biafra and, and and Bad Brains. They all have mad love for for, for metal. Uh, I don't know. It was just something that we kind of like wanted to see ourselves. We like both styles. We thought was was kind of was actually kind of kind of fun and cool to bring them together. Wear the punk shirts. It was a visible way to let our fans know that we like that stuff. And I saw early Metallica photos where the same kind of thing exists. And some of the trash bands, uh, Exodus. I think Exodus is one of the, the pioneers, all wearing broken bones shirts and 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 discharge and and uh, you know. So I think, uh, yeah, I think little by little we just kind of like 
really love. I, I took some from 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 every every uh, genre. I think from 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 hardcore, it taught me that you don't need to be this fucking virtuoso musician to be good. You know, you three chords and you're there. You know, <laughs> I don't even need the other strings. I play with four strings. I made a whole career with four strings, man. Still to today, I play four strings. Um, that that's what punk taught me, and also like like the lyrics of like that's some kind of social commentary on it about our our, our world, our society, or the way we're living in. Um, and also kind of like the the distance between the, the 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 public and the band. Punk shows that was was different, you know. Back in this, you know, I think that like the seventies. I didn't know much. I mean, I was in Brazil, but even in Brazil, like the, the big rock shows, you know, you were like a little ant watching Queen, you know, Freddie Mercury is like this little, you know, <laughs> you're not close to them at all. Uh, my first, uh, my first close experience um, watching punk was actually, uh, was actually, uh, I think, I think Ramones came to Brazil in, in, in the, in the nineties and uh, we all went to the show and we were in the crowd and it was kind of closer. So that was, that was cool. Um, but yeah, I think, I think a lot from hardcore was like that. Like uh, you, you could connect more with the band in a closer level. I, I, I always liked that. I think metal has a lot of that actually, especially the underground metal, you know, it's full of that still. Um, so yeah, I felt, I fell in love with all of those. And I, I don't, I don't know exactly time, period that that happened but i mean i just remember hearing the that the first chromax record and looking at Igor like oh, this is the shit right like yeah this is the shit this is fucking awesome you know this is like this is really good or or old bad brain stuff you know and i mean bad brain to me was mind-blowing with the reggae too because i became a reggae fan afterwards too and i was like when they bridge those worlds together it's like what the it's hard to comprehend that that was done in the 80s you know it's fucking amazing this idea of breaking down the barrier between the audience and the artist is is so important because you know because of what you can get out of the experience because it's it's great. Like I, I remember growing up in the seventies and eighties, and there were there were pop bands that that I liked, and and I could I could listen, I could buy the record, maybe I could even go to a show, and I was like, wow, this is this is great. And there are things that were inspiring about that. There are things that are inspiring about this over there, larger than life figure that that you feel like, okay, that'll that'll never be me in some ways, or this is so different from me. But there's something that's so powerful about whether it's metal or hardcore, I think hip hop was this way, where there was a culture that was developing that you could be a part of more directly in some ways. You know, you could be an artist, you could have a fanzine, you could you could maybe start a label, you could book shows. And the idea that you could somehow be a part of it, the, the sense of purpose that I think comes from that in some ways can be, I don't know if I would say it's necessarily greater because I, you know, I don't want to judge it one way or another, but it's, it's different. It feels much more intimate. It feels much more powerful in some ways. I agree. I agree. Especially on the, on the creative side of things, like creating stuff like fanzines and, 
in the record labels. I, I never got to do, do that to that extent. You know, we never got to do a label, but we did have fan clubs and stuff. You know, we, we had the, uh, that was done with fans and it, and it was killer because it was like a way to get you, because this is before the internet, you know, I'm talking like early 90s. Um, so we had a we had a Sepultura fan club in England called Troops of Doom, and we're in direct contact with the guys. It was a Steve and Jackie, or friends of ours. We're still friends to these days. They still come to Soulfly shows, and they would show me all the letters, and and some of them were written in blood. There's some crazy shit that people send, you know. Um, but yeah, it was like a really cool contact with the fans, and we had one in America called uh, Nomadic Warriors, and it was our friend. Fatty, call him Fatty Tizer. Uh, we just still are friends to today. And uh, and it's so funny, like uh, the other day, Fatty showed me because um, they made uh, almost like uh, almost like a card that like you're a member of the Sepultura fan club. You, you, you got a card and, and uh, Paul from Slipknot was a, was a member of the, the <laughs> fan club. And I thought that was fucking cool. You know, that's like, this is awesome, man. You know, like years later, he's in this huge band Slipknot, you know, but back in Iowa, when he lived there, he was just a kid coming up in the world and loved Sepultura. And it was a, it was a member of the fan club. Um, but yeah, you're totally right. Like uh, I mean, our early beginnings, there was a lot of DUI stuff in Sepultura. Like we, we did our own shirts my brother would hand paint them. Not even silk screen, man. Silk screen was too expensive. <laughs> we couldn't even like we like we checked out. Yeah, silk screen that's that's out of the budget. But hey, Igor, you can paint the shit. We'll buy some paints and you can paint it cheaper. Uh, we'll give you a couple bucks for your manual labor. <laughs> so that's a lot of the early photos that you see people wearing Sepultura shirts like Chuck from Def and those are all hand painted by my brother, which is just, it's kind of like as DUI as it gets, you know, uh, even there's, there's funny shit. Like I remember it, we wanted to kind of look as bad as the Europeans, especially on the black metal side of things. They all had bullet belts and you couldn't buy bullet belts in Brazil. So my brother came to the idea we can buy, we can get double A batteries and spray paint them with silver super do super glue them to a belt we made we, we made our own bullet belts with double a batteries man that's fucking crazy you know it's like insanity just take the picture from far away make it black and white you're there there's you cannot tell the difference there's a, just a lot of double a collection going on yeah one of the things and i'm kind of curious about in that same vein is that you know i grew up right outside of new york and i i wasn't to be honest, aware of or part of, uh, you know, in the 80s, CBGBs or Lemoore's or, uh, you know, anything that was going on in at, at that point. But had I been and had I been someone who was more aware, at least at that time, I could have gone in and been a part of something potentially, or at least just to know that, look, like 20 miles away, it's all happening, you know, right, right yeah. here. There's a, there's a power that comes from that, but you guys are in Brazil and, and it would have been easy in a lot of ways to be like, wow, this is so far away or, 
you know, this, 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 this isn't, we don't have any, there's nothing happening here that's kind of similar. And so we could just be content going to shows as they come through, you know? And again, that's such a, such a part of the spirit of somehow these underground genres, this idea of like, no, no, I, I, I want to somehow do it. I want to do it myself. I want to do something. And how, how did you guys decide, like, look, yeah, we don't want to just go to a Ramon show, go to a Queen show, which in and of itself is is wonderful. We 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 want to do this, despite the fact that this isn't happening here. You know, now it's like something happens in Brazil. You know, okay, there's there's the internet, people can find yeah. out. You know, but back then it's like, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong about this, but you guys were just isolated. I mean, this was really something out of, you know, something that was very far away, like you said, from what was happening in Europe, what was happening in the United States, New York, wherever. And, and so how did at any point you guys say, wait, you know, uh, how are we going to do this? Or was it similar just kind of like with the hardcore thing where it's just like, look, we love it. We're just going to do it. Yeah. It's similar to that, but we felt very isolated, man. I mean, in Brazil at that, at that time, it was so far away from, from Europe and from America, you know, um, I mean, I, I remember the first reactions we got from 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 outside the world. There was even some stuff, some crazy stuff, like uh, playing in Europe for the first time in '89, and people coming up to us like, "Oh, you guys, you guys look kind of like us. I thought you're gonna look like." like from a tribe or something, you know? <laughs> and we're all like, hey, man, Brazil is a lot like Europe, man. You know, you guys just don't know it, you know, because it's so far away. Uh, but, uh, you know, in terms, everything was more difficult, though. I say that equipment sucks, sucks. It was all shit. Uh, there was no specialized studios that specialize in metal. They didn't know what to do with metal. Radios didn't want to touch metal at all. It was all radio play was all pop shit, Brazilian pop shit, American pop exported shit. So it was a it was a big battle for. But we we you know we little by little we started creating our our gang of people that like the same stuff. And and uh, I think the first thing I saw me and Igor saw it was a show. We went to this show in uh, the in the countryside of, of our state, Minas Gerais, and it was a band called Dorsal Atlantica. They're, they're, I think they're still together today, but back then they were like the Brazilian Venom. It was a three-piece. And, uh, and the first thing the guy said when he's jumping on the stage is like, I'm going to fuck ass. I'm going to fuck God in the ass and play the first song. And I was like, wow, they can do that? That's, that's, people can say that shit and play this? They look at you like, we should be doing that kind of shit. You know, that's like the, as the birth of Sepultura was watching these guys going, going back to our house, like, yeah, they're Brazilians. They can do it. We can do it too. It's outrageous. It's crazy. So a lot of our early shows was a lot of the cussing, you know, <laughs> I specialize in all kinds of different cussing. I can think to provoke the, the crowd, you know, I, I even, you know, call people out like, Okay, y'all want to fight in the backyard after the show? We'll be there. <laughs> kind of like, like the movie warriors mentality, you know. Um, and uh, and there was some funny shit. Like we we were at, at one point. There's this 
kind of like battle of the band type shit. Sepultura is the only metal band. It was a bunch of pop shit. And we play. Um, and then uh, I was, I start cussing and then the lady cut off my microphone. Nothing, you know, they just cut off the sound. So I got super pissed. We, we, we got into the next song. I, I came right, right in front of her, man. And fucking biggest speed in the world just spat right at her. Fucking security came. That was a riot, man. She wanted to kill me. I was like, you don't cut my microphone. God damn it. Fucking fuck you. And uh, the owner of, of, of Cogomelo Records, it was like, we put our first record. He was at the show and he goes, come to talk to us back. Like, I think your music sucks. You guys are horrible. But your attitude is amazing. He's like, I've never seen that much action and energy on a show. This is great. Blows away all the hippie shit that I like, you know. <laughs> and then, uh, then we got signed by then. Like, can you guys get a little better on the music side? Because you're you know, in the attitude, you guys, you guys are punks, you know. Uh, you guys got that down. Just get better with the music side. So we got we got uh, we got a little bit better by that. Um, but yeah, everything was 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 harder. You know, even our first microphone uh, that I actually got was like the whole plan. We made a whole plan to go to go see a pop band. We had a, like a free show in the city, and then when the okay, this is the plan. When when it when it's dark on the stage, one of you motherfuckers launch me on the stage. I would jump and grab the mic and put it in my pants and jump back in the crowd. And uh, it fucking it fucking worked, man. I fucking jumped in. I grabbed the mic, stuffed it in my pants, jumped back, and we were gone. All right, we got a mic. You know, we got th thank you, pop band. <laughs> we got we got our first microphone, man. Uh, we, had, we you know we actually had to do shit like that to to survive. But uh, yeah, but it was creating a sense of, of of community. Like you're right, you feel like you're part of something that you belong. It's your tribe, you know. It's a you feel part of this tribe. It's awesome. And uh, and it does just uh, give you a lot of strength, a lot of even 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 when you're as isolated as as we were, it did it did felt uh, felt really awesome to be part of, of of the scene. Have a lot of friends that like the same stuff, and uh, you know it was it was it was great. It was a great time uh, to be inspired and to be fighting for the dreams. You know, you're kind of like. You know, he had a we had our, like our our heroes on the wall, all the posters of people we like, and you know, like one day hopefully be doing what they they're doing. You know, so uh, there was a lot of that, but uh, yeah, it was we created the scene pretty much, and then it became all of a sudden our city became the best scene in in the whole of Brazil, which is kind of mind blowing. Actually, you know, we we. Kind of like in a, a, a way, way smaller version of the New York City scene or the Seattle scene in the grunge, or it's really, really smaller version of that. But a lot of labels and, and people start moving to to our city to Belo Horizonte because there was a scene there, you know, and it was a badass scene. A lot of cool bands, you know, you know, a lot of good shows, and it was better than São Paulo. It was better than Rio. So we we in. And that's something I'm proud. We created that from nothing, man. That was cool, you know, like be part of something that wasn't there 10 years before. Now, now all of a sudden you have something like that. It's, uh, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's something that is, again, it, it's so 
it's such a, a, a simple but difficult pivot, which is the idea that if you love something, it matters. You know, like I think there's so many ways that we're taught in our life that whether you love something or don't love it, it doesn't necessarily matter, you know, or you don't necessarily matter in that context. But it's such a it's such a, a, a hardcore or metal or hip hop, you know, whatever, you know, kind of, again, underground genre that people are a part of. It, it, it's the idea that somehow if you love it, it matters and something can be created from it. You're not 100% sure what, but what I keep hearing from you is just the just the willingness to kind of walk a little bit through the door, you know? Yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of willpower, but you know, when you look at different styles, you're totally right. Like, if, I mean, if you watch different documents, I just watched the, the Cypress Hill documentary the other day. It's exactly that. It's, it's pretty much a metal story or a hardcore story. The street fucking renegades that like to smoke weed and play hip hop becomes one of the biggest bands on the planet. You know, uh, pretty amazing, man. Um, you just got to like a little bit of luck, find the right people, get in touch with the right people and things fall in place. You know, uh, we had a lot of that going on for us. We had a lot. Of, I think, I think Sepultura got, to, got a lot of kind of like, we fought for our stuff. We 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 really struggle, and we 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 did the we did the 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 hot the, the the hustle and bustle, but also some luck and other people that really fought hard with us. So it's all together, you know. But you 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 feel like you're part. You creating something really special, man. That's that's that 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 feeling is amazing in in and and, and is is amazing in any era actually because i feel the same way about the beginning of soulfly which is a different era i'm already a much more established musician but the excitement when i created soulfly was was the same um and then i can say the same thing for the, the other projects playing with my brother again after all those 10 years without talking and uh, creating Killer BQ with some of the my favorite guys. Um, it's it's all there, man. It's all if you want it, you, you're willing to to believe it can happen. It will happen, you know. But uh, yeah, I, I love the I love watching vi videos like that, like the the, the Cypress one that shows the stories are so similar to so many other hardcore stories. Yeah, and it's you know it's interesting, and I I, I love that documentary as well, probably for for similar reasons. I just saw it. And, you know, it's interesting just to, to pivot to the straight edge concept because I, I, I had the fortune of interviewing Ian Mackay a few years back. And I was just like, how, how did you think of that stuff at your age? I mean, he was a teenager, you know, like, how did you yeah. think like doing your own label or doing your own shows and, 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 ref, you know, and refusing to have it to play shows that weren't all ages. And, and I asked him about the straight edge as well. And, and he said, and it was interesting. He said it was a very simple principle. It was that he made decisions based on what created a visceral connection with his life. It was like, he wanted to feel his life. He wanted to be present in his life. And that was why straight edge as he understood it and, and you know, conceptualized it made sense to him because it's just like, I, I want to be there. 
I want to, I want to remember it or I want to start a label because I want to document my friends and I want to have a community. And it's just, I'm kind of curious for you because you, you sound very much like the, it's the love that's driving this whole ship. You know what I mean? Like the thing is just like, you just want to, you know, and I'm kind of curious for you, what your transition into a more straight edge lifestyle was. And if there was anything similar there. Well, yeah. So my, my patch is very, very, yeah, it's a, it's a kind of bizarre one because I was a total wild man, right? Like, you know, coming from Brazil, I, you know, I had some stories, man. I, mean, I remember one time we played fucking Manaus. Uh, that's in the rainforest, you know, you know, Amazon. And I did the best coke you could probably do, you know, after the show. This guy just showed up with the purest Bolivian white powder. I did a shitload of that. I was up all night. I ended up going to the, the rooftop of the building. And I sang the entire Beneath the Remains air guitar and by myself on the rooftop of the building. And I watched the sun come up super high on fucking cocaine. <laughs> and it was a, it was an amazing experience, man. It was, it was, it was I, I don't know, maybe it was just, maybe the cocaine was just good. I don't know. Uh, but it was an amazing experience. And, and I had so many interactions like that through, throughout my life, you know, uh, you know, always fucking. Because my brother was a straight edge, and uh, but he never like tried to get me to go with straight edge. He almost like said something that the other day it was. It was actually kind of. It, it's it's kind of sad in a way. It's like yeah, I, I couldn't drink because I had to take care of him. If we both drink, we're both to be dead. You know, if we, if we both get fucked up, we're just gonna die together. So I had to be a little bit more responsible and be, and not drink. So I can take care a little bit of him, and then once he once he got married, he passed that torch to my wife. Like, yeah, you deal with him now. <laughs> that is your job. Uh, and it was many years of, of struggling because I, I, I fucking I was yeah hard hard to deal with fucking with that shit, you know, like like uh, some you know epic stories. All all that all that shit, it's all true. Like all the you know, parting with ministry and puking on Eddie Vedder is like to happen, you know, all that shit's fucked up. It's insane, but it did happen, you know, and it's, and it's like, you know, little by little, I was, I was getting older and I hated hangovers, man. You know, like if, if, if they would have invented a medicine for hangover, I probably would never stop drinking. Cause you know, I like the buzz, you know? So, but I hated hangovers. It was fucking hard to deal with hangovers. And so so to deal with hangovers, I'll take painkillers during the day. Cause that was like, you know, that'll kill the hangover right away. And you get you get some kind of high going again. Um, but I think the, the the final straw was uh, one of the final straws was uh, some European tour that we were in. And I wanted to drink real bad and there was nothing in the bus to drink and well i ended up going to the bathroom and i was drinking hand soap liquid hand soap and uh yeah i got busted doing that my wife opened the door and i'm like i got the whole chug of hand sanitizer what the fuck are you doing you know i'm like i'm drinking hand sanitizer you know i need help (laughs) 
so it's kind of it was one of those crazy moments, man. Like you realize, like, and uh, yeah. So I went, you know, little by little, I went to the to the different phases of of, of getting of, of to stop drinking, stop taking drugs. One of the main ones was actually going to a place, going to a facility, which is very cliche, but I mean, I think it does. Everybody's different. Some people can do on their own. They have that willpower. You know, I, I, I really couldn't. You know, I didn't have that much willpower. And so I went to a place. I was there for six, six, eight months. It was in Florida. And uh, it, it, was, it was a miserable experience there, you know, just like learning. They drilled that shit on you like 24 hours a day, the classes. And, you know, I miss my family a lot. But because of that, because of, of, of missing my family, being in this place, you, I kind of look around and realize uh, what I really love most. Do I like to? Do I love getting fucked up, and drinking, doing drugs more than more than my my family and and music? No, I don't think so. I really like music a lot, and I like my family a lot. So it was kind of like one of those kind of moments, you know. I, I, when I got out of there, I was like, all right, so yeah, I'm, I have made a decision. What my pri- I have different priorities. It's back to the first love, my first love, metal, music, you know. And that was as simple as that. And then just kind of kind of work on that, you know, like, uh, you know, just uh, I'm still around all different. I, I can be around people partying, no, no problem, you know. Um, got that under control. But uh, there was a doctor that talked to my wife. A couple of years with it, and it pretty much say if he keeps doing the, the, what he's doing, he, he he will be dead in a couple of years. That's no no question about it, you know. Um, so yeah, you know, like those things are kind of like eye opener reality checks, you know, that you get. Um, and you 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 know, you kind of like I start to put things in in, in perspective, perspective, and I'm like. I worked so hard my whole life. I made it out of Brazil. The odds were one in a billion against. I did. I did all this way. I'm going to throw all this way for fucking drugs and and alcohol. No, man. I don't want to do that. You know. Um, but it is hard because it, it, it fucking. I'm probably an addict by nature. You know. So it's probably just dormant. It's probably just slipping. You know. Like I'm not totally cured. It's there. Always will be there. But uh, I, I really like, you know, have this thing kind of. I really love music and and what create creating music and being part of my family and uh, to to some extent the fans and, and everything that comes with the music becomes extensions of the family, kind of. Uh, it was funny, like the other day I came back from a soul flight tour and I was tour sick. And I'd never been kind of like that. And for a couple of days, I was like, wish I was back on the road. I didn't want to be home. I was like, this sucks. I want to be on tour. 
I want the tour to go longer, you know? So I was tour sick, man. It was kind of, kind of weird, kind of crazy. Never kind of felt that. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, uh, it was, a, it was, a, it was a journey. What I like about it is that I can talk about it kind of with a little bit more knowledge, knowing that I, yeah, I've been to the dark side, you know, I know what, how it is to do a tons of Coke uh, or, you know, uh, I never did heroin, uh, like injections, you know, anything like that. Never got that far. Um, but yeah, I like, I like, I like drinking a lot. I like pills a lot. Um, all that, you know? So, um, yeah, I think it's kind of like, I wouldn't trade it. I think the experience were, they're part of it, you know? Um, like if I was just a straight edge my whole life would have been, probably would have been a lot different. Um, but I, I don't know. I wouldn't have the knowledge that I had about the, about those things, you know. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah, I, I think it's one of the things that a lot of people struggle with when they're using is that. Well, if I, you know, a lot if if you listen to a lot of people who have used at some point in their life in whatever way, they invariably have a lot of stories that that they think of as they, they cherish, you know, very dear to their hearts or like kind of whether it's funny or kind of crazy. And, you know, hopefully, you know, if, if, if they or other people didn't get hurt, that can be, you know, even kind of funny and, and, yeah. and, you know, just are sort of part of their history and they, and they really value that it was in some ways when you're using it, it's, it's part of, the intensity and the love of the situation. And then the question is, well, if I, if I don't use, how am I going to get that love in my life? Like, how am I going to get that connection in my life? Everything that I, that I've done or a lot of the things that I've done that are my favorite memories have been in the context of this. And, right. and, and that's why I think when people have something like metal and just knowing or, or hardcore and knowing that there is another path. I mean, I, I think that's one of the most powerful, the, the fact that we're talking about it as straight edge instead of sobriety as an example, right. It is, is kind of a, a nod to the fact that there was a community out there that had done this before. And it, it was like, yeah, like we, we, we can be, sober and 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 we can still be really creative and we can still be really visceral and we could still have a have a community and and I don't I don't know if in music before hardcore and before the straight edge movement and maybe there was but I don't I don't know if people knew about those opportunities I'm sure I'm sure it was there maybe I'm just not aware of it but certainly that's one of the most prominent ones where it's like wow you know maybe I, I can be part of something and feel that love and, and, and still be sober. And that's, that's powerful. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's, it's actually what I get from, from playing music. Uh, it is a, like a drug, you know, and it's the, the most powerful drug. And there's no other drug that I did that gives me what, what music gives me. So it's, and, and it's like, it's crazy because it's, 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 first of all, it's, it's legal, right? It's a total legal thing. It's just playing music. And, and it comes from the passion that you have with your, with your instrument, with your fans, with the lifestyle. So I, I'm in love with the whole lifestyle of, 
of metal hardcore. Leave it. You know, I'm not just, you're not, I'm not just a musician. I, I, I leave, I leave this music, man. You know, without this music, I, I don't exist. Um, you know, I mean, a lot of times, you know, I kind of look back, try to find, try to find out, figure out why did I had to get up so, so fucked up all the times. And sometimes it, it, it does brings me back to, the death of my father it was like it was, a, it was a big thing my dad died when i was nine and pretty much died in my arms you know he had a heart attack on a lake and we had to drive him to the hospital and why he's he's dying in the front seat i'm in the in the back seat holding him and really licking my heart knowing this is the last time i'm holding my dad he's he's fucking going right now you know because this making all kinds of crazy sounds is having a heart attack, you know? And, uh, and that's, uh, yeah, I think for a nine year old, that was, that was definitely tough to face it, man. You know, um, our whole life changed after that. Um, like I hate the smell of roses cause that was the whole room was full of roses. The, he was a big person in a, in a, Italian embassy, so he was he was quite a popular person in the politics of, of Italian, Brazilian Italian. So a lot of really big politician type people was in his funeral. So he was full of fucking flowers, man. And uh, whenever I smell, smell flower, it takes me back to kissing his cold forehead, man. You know, it's a it's a deep, it's a tough thing to go back to it, you know. And I think you know. After that, we moved back to, to Bello. We, we were broke as fuck. Nobody had money. I had to work all the shitty jobs, me and my brother. That's the beginning. I think that's the beginning of, of, of Max Cavalera as what I become today. You know, because before that, I was just like, just total normal kid. I like soccer a lot. I like going to the beach on the weekends. I like, I like girls, you know. When my dad died, we came broke. We got started working like factory jobs. That's when music came in, like a fucking weapon. Like here, use this Sabbath album. This is your fucking weapon. You know, use this Discharge album. You know, use this Chromax album. You know, and then when I, when we start playing, that is like now it's a real fucking weapon. Now I really have a weapon. You know. Um, and that's uh, that's that's great, man. That's a, it's, a, it's a great feeling, but you know, I can say that about my dad that I think he helped me get all fucked fucked up all the time. But if I'm totally being honest, I fucking like to get fucked up, man. I just like the feeling, man. You know, it was a it was it was it was a good feeling. I just never had the I I could never be one of those people that have two three beers and they stop. I was. I, I would be I was mesmerized by these people. It's like, how the fuck you guys do that? How do you do that? Because when I start drinking, that's, that's it. It's a fucking all-nighter. I'm blacking out. Next morning, I'm going to hear about the shit I did the night before and be, and be like, what did you do last night? Oh, you did this, this, this. Oh, okay. I remember any of it. You know, that kind of shit. Yeah, and it's... It's it's interesting that you say that you know talking about the the very powerful you know I'm sorry for that loss you know of your dad and you know that's 
I hear what you're saying because a lot of people that I work with, when they talk about why they use, they they say it actually very similarly to you. They're like, look, if I'm being honest, I I I just I just like the feeling. I just like it. And yeah. a lot of times when they start, it's not starting as an escape. It's not starting as a you know, as, as, as an expression of something necessarily bad, it's sort of going towards something good, but then there's this inevitable cycle that happens with it where over time, you know, you talk about that, like getting up in the morning, having to take pills. I think that's for a lot of people where they notice all of a sudden it's like, I've been drinking all night and getting up and I'm like, oh, you know, you know, I'll just have a, a beer in the morning to kind of take the, the edge off a little bit, you know, or I'll have a pill or something, you know, now it's, now it's with people that they'll like, you know, people, a lot of people like take Adderall all day or whatever. And then they, they smoke pot and drink at night. And then all of a sudden they're on, they're on that cycle. So there's all, all to be, people have all kinds of cycles, but then all of a sudden a lot of the darkness starts to happen. And um, it's, 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 I appreciate you, you being honest about that because I think it's one of the biggest things that people who ever struggle with using are, are kind of a little bit hesitant to talk about. They're hesitant to say, look, I, I really just liked it. Yeah. And, and it went bad because I liked it so much, not because I necessarily, you know, felt badly at the time. I just, I, I really dug it, you know? You kill the things you love, right? It's like, yeah, I mean, and, and, and it would have been easier for me to blame my dad and be like, it's my dad's fault that I drink and do drugs. Not really, man, you know, because my brother... He was younger than me. It was his dad as well. And he dealt with differently. You know, he never took drugs, never, he never drank. You know, it's very, very interesting. But uh, I'm, 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 I'm just lucky I had the right people at the right time with me. One of my, you know, of course, my wife being one of like, definitely one of my saviors in life, you know, never stopped believing in me. And actually, like, send me to those places as because there's nothing else she could do. She tried everything, and I ruined everything, you know, um, to try to get me to, to stop. And I, I wouldn't, I couldn't stop. And uh, so, you know, uh, I always be in depth. The, the gratitude I have for her is huge for, for, first of all, put up with me, and then second of it, uh, you know, believe that I could actually become a better person, you know? Um, and, you know, uh, yeah, you know, when you do that, it's, it's kind of weird because when you, when you first become, I think when you first become straight edge, you kind of think everything is going to change and life is going to be great, right? And it doesn't really happen like that, the troubles are all still there. The difference now that you, you, you kind of like deal with them differently. I, I don't need to drink to face a problem. I just face the problem uh, without, the, without the drinking or the drugs, you know? And, yeah. And that's, you know, in the same way that people are terrified of how am I going to feel happy? Mm -hmm. they're, they're equally, if not in many cases, more terrified. Well, how am I going to be sad? How am I going to be angry? How am I going to be anxious? If I can't use, how am I going to feel empty? And that is when it can get really, really, really terrifying. 
you know, because like you said, it's like, it's, it's, it's a similar, it's a similar process, but it's like, if it's like, oh, how am I going to have fun? It's like, okay, that's one, that's one problem. But like, how am I going to cope with all these things that are happening? And, and, you know, you, you, you realize in part, in addition to just the biological effects of the addiction and a variety of other factors, just people not knowing like, well, how am I going to feel the different things that I feel without using, you know? It's, 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 it's very, I think it's very, very frightening, which is why I have so, so much respect for people who pivot towards, you know, trying to stop. I mean, it's such a scary thing. Yeah, it is. And I mean, I, I never really had to get really fucked up to play that. That was one good thing. I like to give them fucked up after we play. Yeah. Cause I always kind of believe like, like it should be a good show. And I mean, to, to have, kind of a good show you need to be you know somewhat functioning you know functioning right the right way um so i think i think that that part's huge on the on in, when i make the trans, transition to to not drink um i realized that the shows are very similar to when i was drinking because i really didn't got really fucked up before the shows to play, you know, um, so but I heard I heard real different stories of different people that with their fright, very frightening to go play a show uh, sober after they've been doing, you know, playing drunk for thirty years. They have to do it at sober. It's a, it was a, like a frightening experience, you know. Um, I don't know. I don't know how to to. How would it, would a process if that was that was my case? But thank God it wasn't. You know, like I I just never got. Uh, um, I did dumb shit, uh, drunk with with other, with other other things like, with other bands. You know, like jumping on, on like Napalm Daps playing, and had a plan to jump from behind the drum kit, landed on on the front of the stage and start singing. I calculated wrong and I landed on the symbol and it broke my collarbone. <laughs> uh, but I didn't felt anything. I was, yeah, high as a kite. Uh, I felt it the next morning, you know. Uh, but yeah, I think like definitely. Uh, I think I think the thing I, I mentioned. You think your life going to be uh, instantly better? that's not exactly true. It's, it's a process, it's a process, you know, gradually it, it's going to get better. You got to have patience and, and, uh, you know, to me, like, it's like, well, the struggle is actually part of the fun. I think if you take the struggle away from the musician, like what the fuck am I going to do if I have everything I want is I'm not even going to try to make a good record because you know, part of making a good record, you have to struggle for that record. It, it, well, you know, it's like takes takes. It's, it's like the Hey Breathe title, right? What is it? Uh, satisfaction is the death of desire, or something. Uh, you know. No, and it's and you think about how you're describing it. You know, you're talking about you know your dad's dying, working in a factory, and it's like you know. So the the power of music that we like is that somehow in a in a in a way that we can't fully understand it's it's like a it's like a spiritual connection you're listening to something and it's just like 
I connect to this. They get it. I, I somehow I'm seen, you know, and it's like, talk about black Sabbath, you guys from Birmingham, you know what I mean? Like, and, and, in that, you know, in that kind of industrial situation and the struggle that just to, to in that world, and then you're in that kind of similar thing, you know, miles and miles away. It's just like, I, yeah, that struggle. It's like, it's hard to imagine how the connection would happen unless there was some kind of similar experience that's some kind of validation, you know, and that's what I think is so great about something like metal or hardcore is that people come from all different worlds but the, the, there's that similar thing like that you could feel that they're struggling in some way or that struggling even you know people used to say uh uh i think steve blush wrote american hardcore you say like when you would be at a cbgb's matinee anyone who got there there was a certain respect that you had for them which i'm sure is is maybe what what some people felt for you guys as well because you knew how difficult it was to get to a cbs matinee back then in like the the 80s. You know what I mean? It wasn't just like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to show up. I mean, it was it was tough. And I think that comes through in the music and I I I think that that I think what you're saying is right. That struggle it matters. It it sucks, but it matters. Yeah, to me it, it it's kind of one of those it's it's, it's a it's an ever going thing. Um it was funny, like, and then you you connect with people that, that feel the same feel the same way that you do, you know. Um, I was just watching the other day some some Quentin Tarantino documentary. You say, "I would die for any of my movies," and I was like, "Exactly, it's how I feel about my fucking music. It's how I feel about my my record. I would die for any of my records, man. I would, you know. Um, when, when you you just love it so much like that that you would literally, yeah." you know, uh, sacrifice yourself for, for, for the record. Um, and I love that, man. It's like so cool um, to see it, it. It was in the same document. He was talking about writing with a pen and rather than writing on a, on a computer, on a phone. And he's like, the pen is connected to direct connection to God. I'm writing with a pen. And it's like, that's how I write my lyrics. I write with a pen, you know, it's like, it's cool. It's good to know that other people feel kind of the same way. I think that kind of ha- happens a lot in the in the hardcore world. In yeah. um, you know, I love the fucking Agnostic Front documentary, man. That thing was so inspirational. It was so killer. It was so cool. You know, Roger lives here, man, and you know, I I see him a couple of times. We have a lot of the similar friends. But the way that that thing was put together was really well, and uh, you just feel for it, man, and you feel. You feel for the guy, you know, like doesn't want to be on tour. He's, but he, he, he has to because he's, he's a fucking soldier, man. He's a fucking warrior, you know. Uh, and it's great. It's great to see that. Like, it's been many, many times on tour where I felt the same, but felt like fucking shit. I was sick. Didn't want to play. You feel like the worst. Your body is sick. Your mind is sick. You, the last thing you want to do is get up on that stage, you know, then you do it and something happens. That's amazing. And then makes you realize, okay, now this thing is stronger, bigger than even physical pain. You know, it's, it's more, it's it's stronger. It's more emotional, more spiritual than the, than the, the, you know, like 
an hour ago I was feeling shitty in the dressing room. Right now in the middle of the show, I feel like I can fucking take on the world, motherfucker. You know, so fucking cool, man. That music does that. It's incredible. I, I think that's uh, uh, I think that's the best place to stop. I feel badly that we do. But Mac, thank you so much for coming and taking the time to talk with me. This is this is inspirational stuff, and I'm I'm very psyched that you guys have this tour. And you keep them going, and it's just uh, it's fantastic. Really inspirational. Nice to talk to you, man. So there you have it. Max Cavalera talking about the effect that hardcore punk had on his life, particularly the concept of straight edge on his path to sobriety. One of the things that Max and I talk about is how his passion for music motivated him throughout his life. It motivated him as a fan of hardcore and heavy metal music to go see shows. It motivated him and his brother to form a band that helped spawn a new style of music when thrash had not yet been established as a genre. And they worked to develop their band in the early 1980s without a record label, without a network or radio stations playing hardcore punk or metal, and even without a developed heavy metal or hardcore punk community in Brazil. It was that do-it-yourself approach of embracing these art forms and creating their space in it with others who share that same passion. And it is that DIY spirit that we are hoping people take away from these conversations to try to find who and what they love in their own life and build a sense of purpose and community around it. I want to thank my wife and Hardcore Humanism co-founder, Island Booman, for editing and producing this podcast, and my brothers in Odd Zero for letting us use Odd Zero music. If you like what you hear in the podcast, please write a review and share our podcast. And if you'd like to take the next step and make change in your life, check out the Hardcore Humanism Therapy and Coaching Program at HardcoreHumanism.com. Just as a heads up, we will be doing this season of our podcast monthly. So get at it, Hardcore Humans. See you next time.